I want you to imagine with me something in your mind's eye. We were just singing about all our lives and God's faithfulness. And I want you to think back in your life and imagine a time where you were enjoying child play with abandon. A time where you were wholeheartedly enjoying yourself. Who are you with? Imagine with me a time where you felt at ease enough to both take turns being leader and one being led. One serving and one being served. What are you imagining? Who are you with? Are you laughing? Are you competing? If we were to watch child play around the world, it would be quite common to see children finding a point where they could climb up above their peers and feel like they were taking charge. When my boys were young, I used to play with them on the playground and we would do a little rhyme that went like this. I'm the king of the castle, you're the dirty rascal. I don't know if you've sung that before, but I was doing some research and actually kids have been playing a game like King of the Castle through hundreds of years. I've got a picture or two of children in London in 1957 climbing up on a hill of rock or concrete or dirt and taking turns both being victor and the one that's defeated. And if you actually go to the British Library uh, website, you can watch footage of these kids being uh, climbing up high and then being yanked down. And as a mom of boys, I can only imagine how there were times where the, it felt really good to be on top, but I can only imagine what started as all fun and games would very quickly dissolve into shouts of anger. And in the footage, I saw fists being thrown because in the revelry of taking over, it can be tempting to make sure that guy knows he's not on top. Well, before you think this is all just child play, we as adults and as youth, all of our ages, we experiment with what it's like to feel both dominance and submission, trust and insecurity in varying degrees. And we're going to be talking today, continuing our series, looking at the book of Colossians and what this new creation life looks like when we are relating to one another in the way that the Spirit empowers, the way that Christ asks us to. But before I even begin, I know that when someone is preaching and teaching in church, it is easy to start thinking that as soon as families are talked about or spouses or children, it's almost like lines are being drawn and then you know who I'm talking to and who I'm not talking to. Like if your family doesn't look just like my family, then maybe this sermon isn't really for me. I know what that's like because as a young teenager, um, I had a friend's dad come to me and let me know there was an activity in our church, but that it was actually for real families. And he said that to me because I didn't have a dad at home. So he was saying, this activity isn't really for your single mom and for you and your sister. So hear from me very clearly before I even get started. This message on a household ethic is for all of us, no matter who you have in your household whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're with kids, without, 
estranged from a loved one, we all relate to one another. And we may not sing songs and rhymes to one another in moments of tension, but it's a little bit like we're saying in big and small ways, hey, who's the king of this castle anyway? When we get frustrated, especially when we're hurried or we're hurt. Well, as we look at Colossians 3, I'd encourage you to open your Bibles or your phones to uh, chapter 3, verse 18 through 21. And I'm going to read it from a translation you may not hear as often. It's the New International Reader's Version, uh, N-I-R-V. But I'm going to dare to ask you to do something, trust me, but I want to ask you to think in your mind, hmm, who is king in this passage. Wives, follow the lead of your husbands. That's what the Lord wants you to do. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be mean to them. Children, obey your parents in everything that pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't make your children bitter. If you do, they will lose hope. Some translations Actually, many translations begin with the words, wives, submit to your husbands. And depending on your families of origin or the cultures in which you've been raised, those words may or may not be stark to your 21st century ears. But stay with me. We're going to read it into a, a different translation here. We're going to read how the message says it in... Uh, in chapter three, where it reads, wives understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master to no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. So who is king? Did you catch it? Who is this one that we are to honor above all else? The one that delights in us when we do. Friends, Jesus is king. But what kind of king is he? Jesus is king of our household when we lead with humility, not humiliation. Sometimes we get that wrong when we lead with humility, not with humiliation. And right out of the gate, as we read this passage, uh, we may feel a bit like this set of verses is a little bit lopsided. Are we to believe that wives are the only ones submitting in our homes? Can I say it a different way? Are we to believe that wives are the only ones gifted with the incredible teacher named Submission. Because make no mistake about it, all of us learn a whole lot from the teacher named Submission in our spiritual journey. And as I was praying over this passage, I found myself reminded that I don't need to go too far to find an incredible model for Submission. When I look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I am challenged 
by passages like chapter two, verse three through seven, that says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. As we begin to read this passage, we read the words, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Am I the only one who thinks that sounds a little challenging? Wouldn't it be easier if I said, you know, just avoid some of these things that can be a little bit selfish. (laughs) Instead, we're being instructed to do nothing out of selfish ambition. And I can almost feel our wills and our ways, all of us, men, women, girls, and boys, looking for submission loopholes. I was praying about this passage, really taking it to heart, and I was remembering a moment as a young mom with my boys. They're both giants in university now, but at the time, they were in preschool and kindergarten. They had been at school all day, and I went to pick them up, and some of the parents, moms and dads, we were chatting down on the playground, and the kids were up on a hill. And you know, sometimes when kids are left to their own devices, they get ideas, Sometimes it gets quiet when they get ideas. Well, they had this great idea. They decided to gather up as many rocks as they could find and to use one another as target practice. And as you can imagine, we parents uh, on the playground looking up at this were really startled. We wanted to stop it right away. None of us wanted to end up at the emergency room that day with somebody we loved. We let them know, no, stop this. And it took a few moments, but the kids began to drop their rocks and move on to something else, except for one child at the top of the hill, arms still cocked back, holding a rock. And it was my son. (laughs) It was my preschooler son. He was just three years old. And he knows I'm telling this story today. He gave me permission. But to explain a little bit about what we were already learning about his personality, and is still true today, he was frighteningly coordinated. (laughs) He was incredibly strategic and highly competitive. And if you think about it, he was now at the top of the hill and all those other targets had dropped their ammo. So he was there with his rock and I said, with all the parents watching, put your rock down. Do not throw it. If you do, pause, you will lose all your screen time. He didn't throw down the rock. It was like a obedience showdown. I had a lot of witnesses. And I could see his mind thinking through the cost and benefit of submission and listen to the five words he said next. He said real clearly, can I watch on Friday? (laughs) It was Wednesday. He was three years old. And we can give a preschooler a pass. I mean, it's hard working this whole obedience thing out. But we all, if we're honest, have moments 
when do nothing out of selfish ambition sounds like a tall order. I mean, what about Friday? We all have moments where in our relationships with those we live with, do life with, have influence over, we can be holding things in our hands and our hearts that are a bit like rocks or words on our tongues. And we know if we throw them or speak them, we will still get to be king. And that's not the Jesus way we're talking about. That's not the new creation life that the Spirit wants to empower and make possible in our lives. And you need to know that as I have prayed about this passage on a light topic like submission, I found myself feeling, Lord, you need to help me talk and work through this issue of submission so I can get to the good stuff, love. And then God just opened my eyes and all through the passage, all I could see was submission. Wives submitting to husbands. Husbands submitting to their wives with great sacrifice and love. Children submitting to parents with obedience. And parents, and parents, if you are here today, you know there is great submission that is called on us because we don't always get to have our way either. And it hurts when we love our children and we don't always get to have obedience and control. That's why Paul says in a sister letter to the church of Ephesians, or Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's only after this mandate that we all mutually submit to one another that he begins to speak to wives and to husbands into the household. I really love the way Richard Foster writes about the spiritual discipline of submission in our lives when he says, submission is the spiritual discipline that frees us from the everlasting burden of always needing to get our own way. In submission, we are learning to hold things lightly. We are also learning to diligently watch over the spirit in which we hold others, honoring them, preferring them, loving them. Foster goes on to say, submission is not age or gender specific. We are all men and women, girls and boys, learning to follow the wise counsel of the apostle Paul to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. We, each and every one of us, regardless of our position or our station in life, are to engage in mutual subordination out of reverence for Christ. So, who is king of the castle in a household that reveres Christ above all else? Jesus is king, which means we don't have to be. And Jesus is king of our household when love has the run of our hearts and our homes. So why did Paul talk about submission this way? It, it helps me to remember that women at this time did not have the right to own property. Their testimony didn't carry the weight of law in court. If someone was to pass and things were to be passed on down through the family, it would go to a male heir instead. And yet, 
Paul includes men and women in these instructions. He honors them as one, informed by this Jesus way of living. And it challenges cultures. It challenges our own contexts, our own families. We all come from all different parts of the world and we all encounter this new creation way of living and it challenges us. I like to think of what I learned while in Nairobi with some Christian brothers and sisters um, there in, in Kenya. And I was speaking with them about the way that this Jesus way of loving and relating to one another was coming up against some of the practices of the Maasai tribesmen. If a Maasai man, I was told, was going to introduce himself and meet another man, he would show his cattle, his cattle first as a way of asserting his status and his, um, his esteem. And then he might decide to show his home. And then after that, he might show his children. And then after a string of belongings, he might decide to show his wife. She didn't make that list of valuable things to be shared until later. And so encountering instructions that speak on mutual submission and care and respect, well, that's gonna, that's gonna reorient the way within that culture they are to love one another. And we have families we've come from as well. And when we encounter Christ's teaching, it may reorient the way we dare to love and live with one another. I was thinking about the way that we've been looking at this new wardrobe that uh, Colossians tells us Christ has chosen for us. Um, we've read in the last couple weeks, uh, so chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you, compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you, and regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. You see, what Paul is doing as he goes on to talk to wives and husbands and children and parents and all of us, regardless of what our homes look like, he's letting us know that this wardrobe we're talking about, it's not just what you wear in public when people see you. Does anybody dress different when you're at home by yourself? Should I ask someone you live with? Paul is saying, this wardrobe of love, these garments that this new creation life is made up of, you're not to just wear it when you're in public and people see you. You're to wear it at home with those you know best. And this is when it gets real. <laughs> because we need the Spirit's power to be able to do that. We need Christ's help to be able to live and love like that. Um, people have asked me uh, what it's been like for me in ministry and with my husband. Um, and I have a picture of us uh, from a handful of years back. Um, because God has led us in ministry to move and to sacrifice at times for one another's callings and passions. Um, 
we were talking with some university students a couple of years ago about this, and, and it strikes me that one of the times that was most, um, in, I, I guess I could say, moving to uh, friends and family was when my husband was serving as lead pastor in a church here in Vancouver uh, around this time when you see this picture. And, um, and God was stirring in me a call to work with children at risk, and I wanted to get more theological education, and I needed more mentors in my own um, callings in life. And as we prayed about it, we realized this would mean that Grant would lay down his own role, and he was really in a sweet spot. He loved his ministry. We loved our ministry here in Vancouver. A lot of people don't realize that my husband was born here, so with all of our moves, he was actually dedicated here at 10th as an infant. Um, and, and at this time, being able to give up the, the work and, and the ministry was, was hard. So when we are called to take second place, um, it's really informed our marriage and our lives. And I like the way Grant says it best, so I'm going to quote him. When I think of our mutual submission as a couple, I think we are, first of all, mutually submitted to Christ. That's the first submission we all have as Christians. And at the heart of our mutual submission as a Christian couple, it has to be love. If we don't have love for each other, then submission just becomes a command or something someone tells you you have to do or something someone tells a wife you have to submit to your husband. But that's just not been the way we relate to each other. He says, we love each other. And my looking after Ashling's best interest or Ashling looking after my best interest, that just seems to be what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he went on to say to those listening that day, whether you're in business or ministry or education or a student, whatever it is you do, this is our calling. Love our God. Love our neighbors. Love our wives or husbands. Love our children and look after their interest, not just our own. And those are beautiful, compelling words, but I, I would really uh, warn you not to idealize them. <laughs> Every time we've discerned God's leading in our lives, it has included a lot of wrestling because sacrifice is hard. And there have been seasons where we were working it out and it usually involved tears um, my husband's and my own. But that call to be willing to take second place, it's really empowered by the Spirit with a mutual submission and great love. It's not our love. It's Christ's love. And that's one thing, to be compelled to live differently in our households because God helps us to make big decisions. But I think I could have all of you agree with me that it's in those really small mundane choices we make in our households and in our lives where the rubber really hits the road, right? <laughs> Dishes, calendaring, scheduling, differences in opinions. Sometimes it's in the small things where it's really hard to yield to one another. I was praying about this and uh, I had plenty of opportunity to think about it because my husband and I have just recently moved into a new place. Anybody love moving? Lots of boxes. Uh, we have 
been working out this, having places in two different, uh, two different homes, getting our boys set up in the States. And my husband has recently been uh, um, able to buy a new place with me here. And so we're reunited after lots of uh, waiting. And that means that we're hanging up pictures on the wall and unpacking boxes. And just a few days ago, I could playfully call our argument the picture frame debacle. <laughs> and it is funny now, but it wasn't funny then because when we're uh, frustrated with each other, it's hard. And that particular day, I went to bed frustrated. My husband was frustrated. I woke up in the morning and it was still tense. Um, I'm sure we all experienced that living out life together in our households. And as I was getting ready for work and my husband was spending time in scripture and in prayer and drinking his morning coffee, I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to admit my part in the frustration. Ah. And I felt like the Lord was asking me to offer an olive branch of some sort. And so as I was grabbing some coffee to go and heading out the door, I said over my shoulder, won't it be great when we're all moved in and we can just be done arguing about things that don't matter? And my husband followed suit and to his credit in that moment said three words. How about today? How about today? Three words that will change <laughs> any day. <laughs> because we all have our scripts when we're frustrated with one another. You know, the words that we recite, our opinions, our way. And it was like in that moment, the Holy Spirit allowed my husband to just flip the script. How about today? You know, with Christ's power, we can be thinking even now about a relationship where we need the Spirit's help to do that kind of flip of a script. And we don't always get it right the first time. In fact, dare I say it, oftentimes we don't. And I like the way one writer, Anita Ojeda, talks about the need to have do-overs in our relationships. She normalizes uh, the idea that we can come up with playful words to describe our need to do things over. You see, Jesus is king of our household when we love with hopefulness, not hurtfulness. Hopefulness, not hurtfulness. Hope that we can do it over. What I like about the way Anita writes about it, she says, we can say something like, ah, mom lost her cool again. I need a mulligan. <laughs> she calls it a mulligan. Or she says for couples, oh, I need a take two. I didn't get that right because if I could edit that out, I would. And we all have outtakes, parts of what we would just edit right out. And we can also proactively forecast, look ahead and see where there's gonna be frustration down the road. And we can normalize talking about that with the love of Christ in our homes and say, we're getting ready to go through some really stressful times. We may need to do a do-over. Let's talk about that before we get there and then talk about it again afterwards. And attachment specialists have some great words to talk about that. They talk about rupture and repair, rupture and repair. And you see, it's not about just getting it all right all the time. It's about admitting we're working at this. Rupture and repair. Do-overs and mulligans. And I do want to make clear that even as I talk about do-overs, I've been praying about the places where it's more serious than that. 
And please hear me be very clear. If in your home you are experiencing moments where you are not safe and secure, and instead you are experiencing abuse, coercion, or destructive manipulation, that is not the Jesus way. You see, Jesus is also king of our households when we are finding our security and safety in him. And if you need to courageously find someone to talk to about that today, I'd encourage you to do so. I've been praying for you. But all of us in our everyday encounters have moments in our lives and in our homes where we need to have do-overs, where we need to have God's help to do it different. And I was praying for all of our families, our 10th family, praying for my family. And one of the passages I love to read is in Ephesians chapter three, verse 14 through 19. I I like the way all of our families are instructed to find our rooting in Christ's love. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you hear this reminder that when we are rooted in Christ's love, that the Father shares his glorious riches with us? This is what turns this king of the castle game on its head. Because the king who loves us is not one who stands on a precipice and pushes others down in dominance. Jesus is king and he stands on the hill and he gives his very life on the cross while we're still sinners and offers us grace. And then he teaches us how to live a Jesus way. And if we're not busy trying to be king, then by his spirit, we can be more like our king. And when we know a love like his that is wide and long and high and deep, it changes things because then we know we're a child of the king and we are deeply loved. We can live different because of it. There's a simple song that I used to sing in uh, the early days of my ministry with an African-American style choir. And it speaks to this reminder that we are a child of the King and that he shares with us so we don't have to try grabbing to get our way. We can lay still in his hand and surrender and receive from him. It goes like this. My father is rich in houses and lands. He holds the world in the palm of his hands. Rubies and diamonds, silver and gold. I'm a child of the king wherever I go. I'm a child, I'm a child, I'm a child, I'm a child. Child of the king. And when we're rooted 
in the love of Christ. We can no longer live like mobs of people trying to pull somebody down. We become a people learning about this love, living more like him, and we receive that love. Is there one relationship in your household or in your place of influence where the Spirit wants to empower you to live more like Christ? Is there one action the Lord would move you to dare to believe you can have a do-over, you can flip the script, and instead of being like a preschooler at the top of a hill, arm cocked back, saying, but what about Friday? We can be a people that says, Lord, start with me today. How about today? Help me to live with humility, not humiliation, hopefulness, not hurtfulness. Help me to make you king so that love can have the run of the house in safety and security. I want to lead us through a short prayer, a surrender prayer. And as the worship team prepares to lead us in song, I want us to pray this together. Lord, I am thine. I do yield myself to thee, and I believe that thou dost take me. Work in me all the good pleasure of thy will, and I will only lie still in thy hands and trust thee. Amen.